welcome back to our podcast, Raya Affairs. Before getting into today's episode, I wanted to introduce myself as your host for today. My name is Marina, and I am the Project Development Coordinator at Raya, and I've been hosting Raya Affairs since we started the podcast. Today, we are here for the third episode of our series, Climate Leaders 101. In this five-episode series, of which we began last year, we will be analyzing the stakes, policies, and personalities of climate leaders around the world. And we have individuals ranging from Brazil to Kenya to Spain and many more. As per usual, I'll give you a brief overview of Raya. It is an international think tank led by young professionals that translates the abstract world of international affairs by simplifying rather than generalizing. Raya is where you can come to learn about the stories and the worries of political leaders, the behind the scenes of the decision makers, and how politics impacts and changes your life. This is Raya Affairs, filling you in wherever you are. And we would also like to make it clear that any expressed opinions in this episode are welcome, even though they're not a direct reflection of Raya, as Raya specializes in unbiased writing and analysis. But let's get into it. Over the next following weeks, we are dedicating all episodes to climate leaders in a collaboration between Raya, IE University, and the IE School of Politics, Economics, and Global Affairs. Over the summer, 10 IE students underwent weeks of Raya training, learning the methodology where they place the individual decision maker at the center of analysis. And those same students also attended other research-related seminars, including alumna working at the EU Climate Policy at the EU Commission, working with climate migration, and even an external youth climate activist. All this held by Raya. Given this entire process, each of the five climate leader reports will be published one a week on the Raya website. This week, on this episode, we'll be moving on from U.S. climate leader and representative AOC and continuing to discuss Mohammed bin Salman Al Saud, known also by his initials MBS, of which we'll be referring to in this podcast episode, the Crown Prince and Prime Minister of Saudi Arabia. With that in mind, let's kick it off. I'd like to introduce Alisa Lazurenko and Sonia Platnova as our summer program students who have dedicated their time to MBS's profile. So hi, Alisa and Sonia, and welcome to Raya Affairs. Why don't both of you tell everyone about yourselves? So where are you from? What do you do? And why were you interested in joining the Raya Summer Program? Hello, thank you for inviting us to speak today. Uh, my name is Alisa. I come from Russia, St. Petersburg. Uh, I'm an incoming uh, third-year student of international relations at a university, and I was interested in joining the program because I wanted to dive into the topic of climate change and learn more about it since it's a quite broad topic, as well as I wanted to enhance my research uh, skills and learn how to do it properly because it's not something you always taught at university and it's good to have this outside perspective on this matter. Thank you. What about you, Sonia? Hi to all listeners. My name is Sonia and I originally come from St. Petersburg, Russia. I'll be starting my third year at the IE University soon, pursuing a dual degree in international relations and business administration. And I originally joined the summer program similarly to Alisa to learn more about actual research, to gain the practical skills, but also just learn more about climate change and specifically about what role the leaders play in addressing the climate change. That was the most interesting part for me, and I'm happy I did that. 
Perfect. So thank you, girls. This next question I tend to ask our guests on the podcast is one that I know they will answer because they're so passionate about international relations, but also because the answers never fail to surprise. They're always different. So what leader, dead or alive, who has impacted the world would you like the opportunity to have a conversation with if you could? Alyssa, why don't you start us off? Thank you. As for me, uh, I would like to meet the Gorbachev. He's the first and the only president of USSR. And uh, he's the uh, person who changed the direction of um, history in Eastern European uh, region, in my opinion. He started all the democratic changes in Russia and other republics of Soviet Union. And I believe he's a unique uh, person. Unfortunately, he passed away last year, but... It would be a big honor for me to meet him. Thank you. And what about you, Sonia? What leader would you like to meet? I would like to meet and have a conversation with Benazir Bhutto. She was the only and the first prime minister of Pakistan. She served two terms. And because she was the first head of democratic government in a Muslim-majority country, so I think for me it would be very interesting to talk to her and what's her vision, her goals and just her role as a female leader in this region. Thank you, girls. Very inspirational leaders that you both chose. But now let's dive into the topic of today. Our leader, MBS, the Crown Prince and Prime Minister of Saudi Arabia. For those of our listeners who don't know about MBS, his family has been ruling over Saudi Arabia since 1932. Alyssa, Could you tell us how MBS was brought up and how this upbringing introduced him into politics? Yes, sure. So uh, MBS is a oldest son from his father's third marriage. He was very close to both of his parents while growing up and he received the best education in his country. Unlike his brothers and sisters, he didn't go to study abroad and he was always closely um, related to his father uh, in terms of work and he even became the advisor. Before MBS got into politics in 2015, he worked in a private sector, he established several firms and um, as I mentioned before, he was uh, an advisor for his father. Uh, when King uh, Abdullah died, the MBS father, uh, King Salman, uh, took the throne and M- MBS was appoint- appointed as defense minister. Um, at the same time, his father nominated uh, the MBS nephew, uh, cousin, uh, Muhammad bin Naif, old king's nephew, as his successor and the crown prince. However, things changed in 2017. King Salman uh, decided to change the royal line succession and he appointed his own son uh, as a crown prince. And the previous crown prince was arrested and uh, he was relieved of all the positions at that time. Thank you for that very in-depth background. And Sonia, as a follow-up, what would you say is MBS's leadership style? perhaps in his time as defense minister compared to the leadership style which he now holds in his time as crown prince? Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, I have to mention the fact that Alisa already highlighted that his leadership style has been heavily affected by his closeness to his father. So this is like a key element in his 
political upbringing and his education and his future career, it's a major psychological point that we have been analyzing. So during his time serving as a defense minister, being close to his father at the same time, he was witnessing all the inner process, all the important change that has been happening in Saudi Arabia, you know, the coming digitalization, because this is also was an important fact in his political and social upbringing, because he's the first He's a very young leader, and this also will be an important point for us in the future. So he actually saw all those changes evolving as he was growing up. So this affected his leadership style. And as in 2017, he was appointed the crown prince. This is when really his authoritarian leadership style um, started to manifest itself. Uh, we have been talking repeatedly about some very authoritarian tendencies that MBS has been demonstrating and his actions both in domestic and foreign policies have been proving that and this culminated in 2022 last year when he was appointed uh, the prime minister and here it's an interesting point because lately only the kings had this title so this was like a confirmation of him being the de facto ruler consolidating the power in his hands and ever since that and even before five years or so we have been talking about his leadership style being quite ruthless, you know, with civil liberties being violated, repressions, no criticism allowed. So this is the general leadership that we can give you a description of for now. Perfect. A very interesting uh, description indeed. And speaking of this appointment, right, I find it interesting that both of you mentioned in your report that MBS got appointed crown prince in 2017, again, consolidating the fact that he's the de facto leader. However, he was not the eldest son. Was there any particular reason why MBS was chosen as crown prince over the rest of his brothers? And again, this is just a curiosity. Yes, of course. The decision to appoint MBS to this position was attributed to various factors, such as securing a smooth succession within the royal family and implementing specific policies and reforms that the king uh, thought were important. Uh, it is also uh, crucial to see that MBS was very close to his father when growing up, and unlike his brothers, as I said before, he didn't go to study abroad, so he knew in detail the leadership style of his father and the way uh, his father saw the future of the kingdom. Uh, he was also one of the creators of the Vision 2030 project, the one we will talk about later, uh, and uh, he basically introduced the project the year before he became the crown prince. So his father already kept in mind that he wanted his son to implement the reforms for the future of the kingdom. Uh, and lastly, it's important to note that uh, naturally, uh, MBS was a very gifted and talented person. He had a lot of uh, leadership skills from the very young age. He also graduated uh, from university second best in his class. So there were enough signs to understand that he would be a great fit for such an important position as a uh, prime minister and crown prince. Thank you, Alyssa. So again, since 2017, MBS has been trying to counter corruption and he's launched ambitious reforms and projects within Saudi Arabia. And in this realm of new initiatives brought forth by our leader, we can also pinpoint somewhat his rationale. He really wants to diversify Saudi's economy, which is largely dependent on oil production and exportation to other sources of profit that might exist. So when it comes to oil, how important is it for the consolidation of MBS's domestic and regional power? Sonia, why don't you start us off with that answer? 
Absolutely. Well, oil is everything. And here I need to start a bit um, ahead of the time. So I sold family and this will be the primary motivation that we'll be talking throughout the podcast. So I sold family wants to stay in power. And traditionally, historically, the basis of their power in Saudi Arabia was the oil revenue, the oil money. Why? This is because Saudi Arabia has a very unique social contract, which is no taxation, no representation. This is why this oil revenue was very successful for them maintaining their domestic hegemony. However, you know, money coming from oil can only be used as a tool to not only maintain the regional and domestic hegemonies. It's also a tool that can be directly given to people. For example, the Arab Spring in 2011, oil revenues, which was more or less estimated being $150 billion US at the time, was just being handed out to citizens of Saudi Arabia and close neighbors to lower the social tensions. So we can also see that it's kind of reinforcing the role of oil money in the country. And a part of that It's also a tool which helps to establish and maintain the regional hegemony. But here I'll let Alisa speak about that. Yes, sure. Furthermore, MBS has also been using the oil revenues to create the regional hegemony, as Sonia mentioned. Uh, Firstly, Saudi Arabia is regarded as a custodian of the Islam foundation. The king has the title of custodian of the two holy mosques. And uh, Saudi Arabia is also using oil revenues to carry out uh, its petrodollar diplomacy. Saudi Arabia sent uh, over uh, 46 billion uh, US dollars from 2013 to 2020 to Egypt, over $3 billion to Sudan, over $5 billion to Turkey uh, to, cha- uh, to channel its role as a leader in the region. And if Saudi Arabia does not give money, the importers of rivals will only grow. Turkey, Qatar, Iran are becoming important actors in this battle for power, especially Turkey nowadays. As we can see from geopolitical perspective, uh, the country is trying to negotiate uh, with both Russia and Ukraine. The grain deal that was negotiated is a great example of the diplomacy that Turkey is conducting. And obviously other countries in the region uh, can see the growing power of the Turkey. So it's important for Saudi Arabia to um, keep an eye uh, on this matter. Perfect. So what our listeners can really take away from this is that Saudi's dynasty is based on their oil revenues. And you girls already touched upon some of this, but that these revenues not only are used to build up the country, but also influence surrounding states. Um, Could one of you give us a few examples of how MBS exerts this influence, for instance, in OPEC? Sure, absolutely. Well, actually, we want to let the listeners know that Saudi Arabia has been enjoying its very influential position in OPEC a bit before the MBS became the crown prince and the prime minister, but it's still influential. So the mechanism is the following. Saudi Arabia has a very unique and privileged position in OPEC because of its swing supplier position. So what it means is that Saudi Arabia can, in a very timely manner, which is one or two days, increase or cut the supply of oil, which has a tremendous impact on the markets. So Saudi Arabia has been using this tool, and this is why MBS personally and Saudi Arabia now have this great influence. However, this will also be a very interesting point when we talk about how uh, MBS realized that he has to move away from oil. 
All right, and so now going back into this idea, right, of pursuing climate policies, would you say that MBS's main motivation to pursue climate policies and green projects in, is because of this personal fear that he might have that the oil age will end for Saudi Arabia? What would you both say, or what does your research show was MBS's wake-up call to pursue climate policies? Sure. So this is when we come to our part of research, which is called MBS defining moment. And here we have been talking about the 2014-2016 oil price crisis. So unlike previous oil crisis, which similarly have, you know, same reasons, it's either the demand or the supply side. So in this case, it's been a bit unusual because, first of all, the most important factor that created the crisis was the increased production of shale oil by the United States of America. On the other hand, we have also lowered demand from the markets in general because of the economic stagnation that countries were experienced at the time. So combined together, this influenced the way this oil price crisis originated. And Saudi Arabia was heavily affected because we have to know that oil revenues constituted 50% of the GDP at the time. And yes, Saudi Arabia could afford it because they accumulated great foreign reserves thanks to those big oil revenues that they had. However, this has been a very tough fiscal situation for Saudi Arabia at the time. And here we come to the OPEC. As I mentioned earlier, Saudi Arabia could have exerted a very easy and influential decision to cut the supply and push the prices up, not to suffer as much. However, they decided not to take this step, which was a bit surprising and devastate, devastated the economy in the short term, but also was a very right geopolitical decision in the long term. So what happened is that Saudi Arabia did not cut the supply and suffered financially. And MBS, who served as a defense minister at the time, witnessed the impact this had on the country. So this was a certain wake-up call, realizing that oil revenues that you so desperately need to stay in power for your family is not a sustainable source of development. To have those money, you need to move away from oil. And to move away from oil, you need some external source of money, which is difficult with the image that MBS has been generating lately in the international community. So this is where we conclude that the main drive the main motivation behind MBS pushing for climate policies is to create this positive image within the international investors to attract the money needed to diversify away from oil because it's clear that it's going to take a lot of investment, a lot of ambitious projects and the entire Vision 2030, the main policy that we have been focusing on, is basically based and implemented uh, basing on those motivations. And as a follow-up, Mohammed bin Salman, serving as defense minister at the time of the crisis, witnessed the impact of this crisis on his country. The essence of this defining moment for Mohammed bin Salman is the realization that oil depletion possesses a severe risk. Using oil revenues is not a sustainable source of development for the country, and a diversified economy is needed for the Al-Sud family to stay in control domestically and in the Middle East. Thank you, girls. Uh, both of you made it very, very clear for us uh, to understand really um, this defining moment, as you said, for MBS. But now I really want to, you know, get into the specifics of his actual climate policies. So, Sonia, if you could start us off, could you describe the climate challenges very briefly that Saudi Arabia faces currently? 
Sure, absolutely. So we have been focusing on four main environmental challenges that Saudi Arabia is facing, with the first one being the rising temperatures and the consequent desertification. So here, the main problem is that Saudi Arabia only has 1.6% of arable lands. So rising temperatures affect negatively the health of citizens and the production of crops, basically making most of the rural areas inhabitable. The second problem is their air pollution, and it's quite connected with the first problem, because the main source of air pollution in Saudi Arabia is the dust that's stored in those lands. So besides the dust, uh, air pollution leads to environmental degradation, it damages the infrastructure, most importantly, it affects the health of the citizens which suffer, and consequently, it even leads to economic downturn, because people have to take days off, uh, country has to spend more on healthcare. So this is one really interrelated complex issue. The third challenge that we have been talking about is the water scarcity and the water management in Saudi Arabia, because Saudi Arabia does not have any permanent rivers or lakes, and they have been relying on either desalination or groundwater waters. So here, the problem is that in the long term, unless they explore any other alternative options, those groundwater sources can be just exhausted and water management becomes a huge problem for Saudi Arabia as well. Lastly, we have the rapid urbanization rates. So here it's a very interesting environmentally speaking challenge because it affects the logistics, it affects infrastructure because people in Saudi Arabia have a strong preference for using private vehicles for transportation, which is not good for air pollution, which was the second environmental challenge we have been talking about. And also in the end, it's about threats that rapid urbanization brings with itself because uh, just just like we witnessed in Jeddah floodings because of some big agglomerations and cities being built close to the Red Sea and other water sources they are threatened with floodings and other natural disasters which are being provoked because you know cities are just being built at a very rapid rate very close to water and climate change affects the rate of those floodings that can be very destructive for Saudi Arabia city infrastructure. Thank you. So we have those four distinct issues, but again, very interconnected. And I think that from reading your report, the main policy that MBS has really presented to the world that encompasses these four big issues um, that Saudi Arabia is currently facing is his vision 2030. And I'll just quickly quote its goal. Uh, It's to transform Saudi Arabia into a sustainable, diverse and globally influential nation. And the Vision 2030 umbrella consists of actually 96 strategic objectives and sub-projects. And one of those of which you girls focus on your report is the Neom City. So Sonia, could you tell us firstly what Neom City is, what climate challenges perhaps it tackles, and what MBS's goal with it is? Well, let's start with a basic understanding that Neom is a flagman project of Vision 2030. It's a major development project aimed at creating a new way of living, which is, first of all, technologically advanced, it's sustainable, and it also embodies the future. Interestingly enough, Neom comes from the Greek word Neo, which is new, and Mustakbal, which is future in Arab. So it's kind of creating this new future, a very visionary and, I would say, elevated vision of MBS. So it was presented by MBS in 2017 during the Riyadh Future Investment Initiative. 
Enium is actually just an umbrella term for several sub-projects that are a part of it. So in Neom you have the Lime, which is I think the most known internationally project, which is a city. Then we have the Sindela, which is a luxury resort island, which will be actually opened first. Then we have the Triana, which is going to be a mountain ski resort. And lastly, we have the Oxagon, which will be the industry, the renewable energy hub, which is basically going to power the line, the Neom, and all the parts. So this is the technicalities of Neom. And speaking about the goals, um, I would say, as you mentioned correctly, Neom is a big project, especially the line, for MBS to fix the image, to it's going to favor him is going to frame him, I would say, as a climate leader, is going to generate him as this leader who leads the country, who creates a very sustainable and useful place for people to live in. So I would say the main goal, if it's successful, which we'll talk about later also, it's just a very ambitious project, very difficult, consists of many parts, but in the end, if it works out, it has a great potential for MBS to kind of affirm him as a climate leader, as a visionary, and just a very technologically advanced leader. Thank you, Sonia. And you actually get into my next question, which is towards Alyssa, which is about the this project succeeding. Does the analysis give you any insight about how it could favor uh, Saudi Arabia's domestic and regional hegemony, and why? Uh, yes, absolutely. We should know that uh, the Neom consists of uh, four different projects, and Sonia, as Sonia mentioned before, and it's important to see that all of them have a different uh, timelines of completion, so they all have different uh, final uh, times to be completed. For example, the whole Neom is set to be completed by 2039. Uh, it's crucial to understand that there is still a way to go before all the uh, projects will be completed. Neom represents a new era of change in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, uh, it leads the kingdom to economic diversification uh, as it eliminates all revenue, all revenue reliance. Additionally, it creates new jobs opportunities. According to the analysis we read, it is estimated to create 380,000 jobs for Saudi nationals, so domestically it brings a very good impact. Uh, even though uh, it was achieved with a great, uh, great cost, uh, it gave the MBS um, excessive board's attention and attracted foreign investors to the kingdom. And all this is actually interconnected because foreign investors are needed in order to complete the project. So basically, it's a win-win situation. Uh, however, this, there is also a dark side of the project, but I would like to mention it later. Thank you. And so I want to now change a bit uh, the track and discuss another policy that MBS has put forth. You know, he's not only focused on this big development project, but he also leads the Saudi Green Initiative. So, Sonia, could you tell us a bit about what this policy entails? Certainly. So apart from ambitious development projects such as NEOM, there are other policies put in place by MBS. In particular, Saudi Green Initiative unites environmental protection, energy transition, and sustainability programs with the overarching aims of offsetting and reducing emissions, increasing Saudi Arabia's use of clean energy, and addressing the climate change. So this initiative was launched in 2021, and it consists of 77 separate initiatives targeting three objectives. 
which are reducing emissions, greening Saudi Arabia, and protecting land and sea. And to make sure that it's being implemented and oversee the implementation, MBS has set up the Energy and Climate Change Committee and also the Environment Committee. So those bodies oversee the implementation of initiatives and track the progress of accomplishing the targets. These bodies are also in charge of engaging the public and private sector ecosystems, ensuring that those are coordinated, they comply with international standards. So this is briefly the goals and how the Saudi Green Initiative works. And Alyssa, how would you say that the Saudi Green Initiative is in line with the political persona or again this leadership style of MBS that we discussed earlier in this episode? Does it portray him as the reformer that he wants to be for the country? Uh, it truly does. Uh, since uh, 2016, uh, King Salman launched a renewable energy initiative. And uh, since then, MBS was working to develop the project. When we are talking about Saudi uh, Green Initiative, it's important to know that it always goes together with Middle East Green Initiative. And if we are talking about the regional impact, we should first analyze the uh, Middle East Green Initiative, uh, since those are basically two combined things. Uh, the uh, Middle East Initiative is the one that shaped the regional perception of MBS as a reformer and sustainable leader. Saudi Arabia and MBS himself proudly launched the Middle East Green Initiative in October 2021. In November 2022, at COP27, MBS announced to spend uh, $2.5 billion over the coming 10 years to support regional initiatives for green energy sector. Uh, therefore, MBS put himself in the position where he bears the personal responsibility for the project as it is not just a national but regional initiative. Since the launch of the Middle East Green Initiative in 2021, more and more countries uh, such as Iraq, Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Oman decided to join the initiative as they get more and more serious about fighting a global warming. Uh, this project will also help Saudi Arabia uh, as a part of the five Arab states, Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman and the United uh, Emirates achieve carbon neutrality and reduce carbon emissions by 10% globally and by 60% regionally, which was the plan for 2050. Thank you. Um, and I know that we've both, uh, you both have gotten into this, but what has been, you think, the measured or expected impact of his policies? Is it too soon to tell with a project like Neom City? Um, Alyssa, why don't you start us off with this question? Yeah, sure. As I mentioned before, I would like to also uh, highlight the negative impact of the project. And first of all, um, we should talk about the construction of, construction of the Line City. Uh, basically, what happened is that people who lived in the area of the Line City have been displaced without any compensation. Uh, it, it was especially shocking for public as those displacements were done despite MBS promises that people affected by the construction work will be included in the planning and implementation of the process. He basically promised all sorts of uh, compensation, but it didn't happen. Saudi's government ordered to uh, even imprison at least 20 members of the local tribe that lived in the area of the um, present uh, the Lion City. Uh, it also it included the prominent tribal leader, uh, 
because those members and the leader refused to move from the uh, area of the land city. Uh, one man from the displaced tribe was uh, killed and three others received the death sentence. And as a sister of a famous Saudi women's rights activist said, our main concern is that Neom is built on Saudi's blood. Uh, second is the construction of the Trehenna project. Uh, the Trehenna is said to be a resort in Saudi Arabia's northwest, uh, which will run on sustainable infrastructure and renewable energy, according to Saudi authorities. However, the Greenpeace has claims uh, it is a dangerous uh, ski resort uh, that is being built in Saudi Arabia. Organization insists uh, such a massive construction will significantly change the ecosystem and it can also lead to some unpredicted consequences. Greenpeace's concerns may be related to environmental and sustainable issues associated with construction as ski resort in a region with a hot climate and limited water resources. Ski resorts can have significant environmental impacts including uh, water usage and uh, increased uh, greenhouse gas emissions from energy consumption uh, from snow baking and infrastructure. All right, so thank you for giving us this in-depth assessment of MBS, both of you answering our questions with full detail. But in conclusion to our discussion today, would you both agree that MBS is a climate leader or rather that he is not a climate leader? Please go ahead and say what you think. Okay, so after the oil price crisis of 2014-2016, MBS introduced his famous Vision 2030 project aiming at diversifying Saudi's economy from oil. Then MBS uh, and his government realized that climate-related policies, such as those that we mentioned before, require massive foreign investment. Uh, none of his uh, climate projects have been com completed yet yet and most were first introduced to fight all dependence and maintain the social contract, not to just create the climate policies. However, we can still call uh, MPS a climate leader, even though his project, um, his objective to develop climate change policies in the kingdom is largely based on his desire to cut all dependence without losing high revenues. MBS wants to go green to develop different sectors of economy. Crown Prince has taken several actions to address climate change and promote sustainable uh, sustainability, and it has to be acknowledged and deserves their recognition. Yes, and summing up what Alisa has just said, we would say yes, MBS is a climate leader just in a very peculiar way, even though we accept throughout our research the fact that the main motivation behind his climate policies are agreeing the image of Saudi Arabia to attract the international investment needed to diversify away from oil, we still have to affirm and see the actions that MBS has been planning to do or in the process of doing. But personally, we think that there will still be a lot more time needed to assess the impact because those projects that we have been talking about require a lot of years of construction and it's still unclear. But based on what we have talked about today and what we have witnessed in our research, yes, MBS is a climate leader in a certain way. All right, so thank you both for elaborating as to why MBS is a climate leader based on the research that you have today. It seems that we've come to the end of our discussion. And before moving on to the last segment of this podcast, I wanted to know what you believe are the top three takeaways that our listeners should have when they are in their own process of research and analysis. 
So more specifically, can you girls relate it to what you have learned in your own process and how far you might have come in analyzing individuals and the way they make their decisions, especially because at the beginning, you both said that this was uh, somewhat of a motivation to join the summer program in the first place. So Alyssa, let's start with you. Thank you for such an interesting question. As for me, the first uh, important takeaway is to clearly define your research objective. While researching, it's very easy to get lost with the large amount of information you will encounter, so it's always important to be focused on the specific goal you have and basically don't forget about it. Second thing is to ensure the credibility and reliability of your information sources. Be all aware of the uh, fake sources, fake news you can read online. It's very easy to get confused and write something which is actually not true. And the last takeaway for me is to be creative with everything you write because most probably everything uh, you find on the internet or in your other sources and relate to using your research, all this uh, was already written, all this was already said. So you should always uh, try to find a way to be creative, to write something insightful, something that uh, wasn't said before. So those are my three top takeaways. Well, for me, the first and the most important, I would say the most difficult one to implement was the looking out for bias because bias is everywhere and we cannot eliminate it completely. But once you're aware of it, this is when the research really takes, I would say, a different turn for you. So looking out for bias has been a very enriching exercise for me throughout the research. The second takeaway I would mention is learning how to relate the psychological pressure points and the role those points are playing for the leader's development or his policy making with the systemic ones because especially in the case of Saudi Arabia that we had since policy making depends on Mohammed bin Salman and his role as the de facto ruler of the country here it's been a very clear connection and just I think that applied to any other individual that you're analyzing, being aware of this connection is very important. And once you do so, uh, your research takes uh, also very profound step. And lastly, just being comprehensive with everything you do, just like similarly to what Alisa have said, uh, always trying to go a step beyond in your research, to always think about the bigger picture, how things relate, uh, even though you're focusing on one particular individual or their motivations, think that their things are always interrelated, especially in our case, why we learned this is because in the Middle East, everything is so incredibly interrelated, sometimes even complex. So you really need to take the time to be comprehensive with your research, with your understanding of connections. So for me, this has been the last and also, I would say, quite vital takeaway throughout our research. So now we will move on to a new segment that we've been doing in our Climate Leaders series that we like to call Two Sides, One Mic. So for five minutes, we read out opposing statements made about the leader and the topic at hand, and our writers discuss how these statements connect to the research that they have conducted on their climate leader. Our goal is to look at what is currently being said by other individuals about the climate leader 
and their policies and have our writers debate or comment on it using what they have found in their analysis. So in this case, we will look at the repercussions of MBS's city, the line. On the one side of the mic, when the crown prince of Saudi Arabia announced the line back in January of 2021, he called it an affirmation, and I quote, an affirmation of Saudi's firm commitment to presenting a project to the whole world. And he used the following descriptions, such as calling the line a civilization revolution designed to transform the concept of a conventional city into a futuristic one. And he even referenced his entire project, Neom, as a place for those who dream of a better tomorrow. On the other side of the mic, however, critics have been quick to point out that the line only serves as a smokescreen to deflect away from MBS's repression and hypocrisy. And one of the major contradictions of the line is the extreme interventions that it requires to just make the city livable. For instance, the city will have no access to fresh water as it will be in the middle of a desert. And another major contradiction that was pointed out will be the continued heavily reliance on the oil industry to fund such a development. So MBS has really been accused of leveraging climate action such as the line while also increasing fossil fuel production at the same time. So our question to you girls is the following. How has MBS really responded to these criticisms of his projects? And these criticisms include the ones I just mentioned, but also the very severe displacement of indigenous tribes in the area needed to build the line, and also some other unrealistic targets, at least that's what his critics say, unrealistic targets of what he aims to achieve. Wouldn't both of you agree that the environmental impact and costs of such a project might not outweigh the good that MBS has promised to the Saudi people and the world? Go ahead and debate as you wish. So the initial, initial promises and the Saudi tradition, uh, when we talk about how Saudi Arabia approached those accusations, and especially in the question of removing the native tribes from the territories that you have just mentioned, So historically, the tradition has been that Saudi Arabia still proceeded with doing so. It acknowledged the fact that the tribes were being forcibly removed from their uh, places of residence. However, they have been compensating generously. They have been very, I would say, um, evident about this. So they acknowledged that. Uh, however, in this case, uh, It was not the same, especially with Neom and the line that what you have talked about. A lot of native tribes were removed from the territories and obviously they did not agree to those compensations. However, the main aspect that we have been talking about uh, when we refer to MBS reaction to this criticism, domestically, the response is usually ruthless. So we know that MBS is a very authoritarian leader and... For example, member of the tribe that I've just mentioned living in this territory, when he was speaking out, he, a couple of days later, was shot at by Saudi Arabia's security forces. Then we can refer to Jamal Khashoggi case. It's a very, uh, I would say, the most known controversy surrounding Mohammed bin Salman. He was a dissident journalist who was killed in a Saudi consulate in Istanbul and Saudi Arabia and MBS personally has been accused uh, of his murder. So Jamal Khashoggi, just three weeks before his death, expressed the idea in a column that he was writing for saying that perhaps MBS should be 
renovating the existing towns and the structure before pouring billions of dollars into new, very ambitious, but sometimes unrealistic projects. So this, and since we know what happened to Jamal Khashoggi, this is the how MBS takes the domestic reaction. And when we move to international criticism here, Alisa will tell you more about this part. Yes, sure. So, despite all controversy surrounding the Neom project, MBS still positioned himself as a visionary of the uh, primary project of the Vision 2030. Uh, that is why he personally received all the criticism from non-governmental organizations such as Amnesty International or Greenpeace that I mentioned before due to the mentioned displacement of the local communities and environmental impact of such massive development. Uh, Finally, MBS also faced a lot of international skepticism as the project seem, seems unrealistic and there's still a lot of questions about uh, funding and construction uh, transparency. However, it's important to see uh, that the criticism he receives uh, is mostly, mostly comes from the democratic countries from the West. Uh, where, however, other countries uh, such as Russia, Iran, or even Japan, which is also uh, usually is um, uh, included in the uh, common west in those like in the east is continuing to doing the business with the uh, MBS and Saudi Arabia uh, the great example of this is a blue hydrogen uh, and all the supply lines that now are building the Japan. So uh, even though the international organization and non-governmental organization oftenly criticize uh, the construction of the new project in Saudi Arabia, uh, the country and the governments still continue to work closely with uh, the Mohammed bin Salman personally and with his government. Thank you girls so much for participating in this segment. As this episode comes to an end, I wanted to briefly summarize what we have come to learn here today. MBS, as the Crown Prince and Prime Minister of Saudi Arabia, has been interested in climate change policies in order to safeguard the future of his country, undergoing four serious climate issues, but mainly as well to secure international investment and make Saudi Arabia a reference point to the rest of the world. We discussed how the oil crisis and MBS witnessing its consequences led to his interest in pursuing climate policies such as the ambitious Neom City and the Saudi Green Initiative. And while most of the impact is yet to be seen, MBS's projects have a positive outlook and both Alyssa and Sonia went into tremendous detail into all of this and why, in his peculiar way, MBS is considered to be a climate leader. I just wanted to say that it's been an absolute pleasure to have both Alyssa and Sonia on Raya Affairs today. Clearly, they know much more about MBS and his climate policies. So thank you so much, Alyssa and Sonia, for coming on here and giving our listeners your insight and analysis based off weeks of hard work and research. Thank you so much for having us today. Thank you for this valuable experience. We hope you read our profile on, on Mohammed bin Salman and learn more about the way climate policies are implemented in the uh, authoritarian countries. We encourage you to be critical when you read our work because it's vital to remember that there is always more than one perspective on the same matter.
Thank you so much for having us again. We invite all the listeners to take a look at the report and think about what's MBS role in addressing climate change, because we believe that when a regular person hears about Saudi Arabia, they do not think about climate change. So we think that our report is a good chance for them to learn more about what are the efforts being undertaken and what's the role of Mohammed bin Salman personally in those efforts. Thank you very much again. Exactly. And for those of you who have enjoyed our discussion today and want to read their report for yourselves, which I very much recommend, click the link in the episode description or find their research on riagroup.org. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram, raya.now, where all the climate leader content will be posted. It was a pleasure hosting this discussion today. Um, Goodbye, everyone. And thank you for tuning in. Have a great day in your sphere of influence. Thank you.